Don't discount yourself because of your struggle, whether past or present. Because if you give it to Him and allow Him to take you through that process of transforming you, He's going to use it to help others, even if you're not all cleaned up yet. You're listening to a message at Grace Church of Alma, a place where the curious, bored, and discouraged can journey together toward a full life with Jesus. This morning, uh, well, you know, Devin uh, asked me to continue this series, and I just racked my brain because it's like I didn't grow up on Bible stories, okay? I know the catechism almost inside and out, the Catholic catechism, but I didn't grow up on Bible stories. And so I didn't want to do it. (laughs) I was like, no, pick your dad. He knows all about him. But, you know, I prayed, and um, Rahab came to mind. And so um, this morning, my title for today's message is The One with the Two Spies and a Hooker. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and the happy hooker was very popular back then. And you know, I didn't want to use that word. I wanted to use prostitute. I was like, what the heck? They both mean the same thing, but it it, it just offended me. And I think sometimes God wants us to be offended, okay? And you're going to find out a little later, because we're not going to, you know kind of pretty this up this morning. If any kids are in here, you should be in children's church learning the G version of this story, okay? And I would be amiss if I didn't carry out the tradition Devin has all the time about talking about the Razorbacks. And how about those Razorbacks? I'm not talking about the football team, sorry. I'm talking about the men's basketball team. They're awesome, five and oh. We're putting the football season behind us, and now we have hope, and even the women's team is awesome. So anyway, you know now where Devin gets it. I just love sports. So anyway, we're talking about two spies and a hooker. And whoever says the Bible is boring has not read this story, okay? Open up the book, it is so interesting. And you know, I tried to find a flannel graph of Rahab, but they all make her look like an innkeeper. But I did find this picture right here that clearly defines pretty much what her occupation is. You know, eight times out of the Bible, Rahab is mentioned, and five of those times she's mentioned as Rahab the harlot. Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the hooker. So she's not an innkeeper. And um, I don't know about you, but I just can't imagine every time someone mentioned my name, they attached my sinful lifestyle. Think about that for a little bit, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. So there's a lot of things that we could talk about with uh, this story about Rahab, and some of it's very challenging and even kind of offensive. But I only have a short time here, and I'm not going to go down that lane. 
because I just want to really, um, I want to focus on the main character of the story, and that's Rahab the hooker. And um, let me just recap some of it. The Israelites had wandered uh, for about 40 years in the wilderness, and they were on the verge of possessing the promised land when Moses died, the guy in charge, right? And so Moses had been mentoring Joshua, and so it was his time to step up to the plate. And um, Joshua was um, going to get ready to take some of the promised land over, and he uh, decided to send two spies to scout out the land. Now, the interesting note was Moses did the same thing, but he sent out 12 and only two came back with a good report. The other 10 were complaining and grumbling about how big and strong the people were in that country. And so um, Joshua, being you know, kind of intelligent, decided, I'm only gonna send two. So he sent two of his men, and they ended up staying at Rahab's, the hooker's house. You know, when you think about it, it's actually kind of brilliant that they would end up at her house because she was very welcoming, right? She wasn't going to, I mean, come on, get real. I think we're all adults in here. Very welcoming to men. She wasn't going to turn them away. And you could even further speculate that being in her profession, she had connections. She had some information. And they needed information. And they could go undercover and not be found because people were always coming and going from Rahab, the hooker's house. So she decides to help these men who came to the door. And the king found out about it. So these two spies were not really good at being spies. And so he sent his men to ask her, you know, where are these guys? And she lied to them and said she didn't know. You know, that they were there. She didn't know where they went. And, um, you know, she all along had hid the men up on the roof. And so... Um, Rahab, when they left, decided to go up to the roof, and she decided to talk to these guys. And, you know, she had been uh, in the land of Jericho, and she had heard all the stories about the God of Israel who parted the Red Sea and all the miraculous feats that he had done. And so she told those men, I know that your God, the God of Israel, because she didn't worship that God. She worshiped other gods. She goes, I know that God, your God, is God of heaven and on earth. And so she said, I will protect you if you'll protect me and my family when you guys come and try to take over Jericho. And so they gave her, her uh, their word that they would protect her. All she had to do was keep silent about the plan. She had to keep her and her family and their families in the house, and she had to hang out a scarlet, a red rope out of her window. And that was the sign that that house was protected. 
And so we see in Joshua 6 that Joshua honors that promise he made to Rip Rahab, and she and her family were spared, and from that day forward, they lived among the Israelites. So, Rahab the hooker, such an unlikely choice, don't you think? That she starts as a hooker, but she ends up to be the hero of this story. She doesn't even, I mean, God doesn't even mention the two spies in their name. But Rahab, the hooker, was the hero. How does that happen? Why would God use a person who not only is a non-believer and has a lifestyle that she had, um, why would he use someone like that? You know, when she hit, she made that decision to hide the spies, she was a prostitute. She didn't clean it up all of a sudden. She was still a prostitute. And, uh, you know, it just really makes you wonder, you know, what is God's criteria, right? What kind of God would choose to use such an unlikely person for his purpose? And I believe that we can learn some lessons from Rahab. You probably haven't been a harlot or a hooker, but I think we can relate to her humanity. We can relate to things that we've done in our past that we regret. Right, thank you for that. And so let's talk about who Rahab was. Number one, she was a female. Strike one. In the first century, women were second-class citizens, classified as chattel, which means they were personal property that some men could own. And in the time of Jesus, you know, this gives you a real good picture of how women were viewed. In the time of Jesus, there was a rabbinic proverb that said, if a woman would ever read the Torah, and that's the five, first, uh, five books of Moses, that it would be better that the Torah would be burned than for a woman to read it. Just gives you a little background. The second liability or strike was that she was single. Here was an unmarried woman not living in her father's home. We don't know what happened with her parents. We don't hear about that. But usually an unmarried woman needed permission to leave her father's house for anything really, but to leave her father's house, she had to marry. And then when she was in her husband's house, she still needed permission to, to leave. So again, a little background on being female and single in that culture. The third thing, she was a can Canaanite. Uh, they were very immoral people, very sexualized culture, okay? They worship pagan gods. And they felt like if, you know, um, they wanted to appease the gods or they wanted their uh, ground to be more fertile and for it to rain, they had to have some kind of sexualized ritual. 
Even their pagan neighbors thought they were really bad people. This is the culture that Rahab grew up in. And then the last strike against her was that she was a hooker. Some commentators try to gloss over the fact that she was a harlot by saying she was an innkeeper. But listen to the New Life translation. It says, they went and came to the house of Rahab, a woman who sold the use of her body, and they stayed there. There's no airbrushing that. Even the Greek and Hebrew words used to describe Rahab was one of a harlot, a prostitute, a hooker, not an innkeeper. God uses unlikely people. I guess you could say she was an innkeeper with benefits. Okay. Um, now, I was like reading some Jewish commentaries and um, some um, things that the rabbis back then in that century and later, how they um, talked about her background. They believe that she was just 10 years old when she became a prostitute. 10. And at the time that the spies came to her house, she was 50. 40 years being a harlot, a prostitute. You know what 10-year-old wakes up one morning and says, I want to sell my body for money. But when you think about the culture that she grew up in, she really didn't have a choice. See, in that culture, young people were forced, many of them were forced into prostitution. And they were abused, almost to the point of death. This is the culture she lived in, and you can really kind of understand a little bit more of why she was a harlot. Sometimes we don't know what people have been through that would force them to make choices that they probably wouldn't have made. Sometimes we're just a little too quick to judge and not have compassion on where people find themselves. And this was Harlot. I mean, uh, yeah, she was a Harlot. This was Rahab. So anyway, Rahab had every liability and label that just screamed disqualified. Not good enough. Doesn't measure up to our high standards. Wrong gender, wrong race. She was not of the Israelites' race, okay? Outsider, outcast, reject. Good for only one thing. That was her reputation. She was a very unlikely choice to be the hero, hero of this story, but yet she is 
God chose her to be. So my first point is, don't be surprised by who God chooses to use. Don't be surprised by who God chooses to use. It's not always who you think it should be. It's not always the good girl, the one who follows all the rules. Rahab being labeled a hooker for most of her life is a lesson to us that God can and does use the unlikely choice. You know, in high school, we had our yearbooks, and they always talked about, you know, most likely to succeed. You know, the most athletic. You know, the cutest couple. Rahab wouldn't have been in anything like that. And maybe some of us would be the least likely to succeed, right? But when God looked at Rahab, he didn't look at her profession. He didn't look at what she had been doing for the last 40 years. He did not look at her past. He saw a woman who was broken and abused, but whose heart was open to him. He didn't judge her by her lifestyle, but by her heart. It's quite amazing to see whom God chooses for service in his kingdom. We humans tend to look at the outer appearances, right? The outer package. They have it all together. They look right, you know. They talk right. Even in church, they pray right, you know. We look at all that outer, outer stuff. God doesn't. He's looking at your heart. I'm so glad that God's criteria is different from ours. Because I don't know about you, but I would have been disqualified. A lot of us, all of us, fall short of the glory of God. We would all be disqualified. Thank God he sees our hearts and he doesn't see what you've done or what you're doing, but he's seen what you can become. Because in Christ, the possibilities are endless of what you can become if you allow him to work in you. If you just say, hey, God, I'm a mess. You know, he likes people that admit that kind of stuff. Without you, I can do nothing. It's the person that thinks they've got it all together and that I'm all of this and that and a bag of chips. Those are the people that have pride. They're not relying on God's ability. They're relying, relying on themselves. God doesn't always choose the most gifted. He doesn't. He chooses the one that says, I'm all in with you, and I'm a mess. Can you use me? Then he equips you. Then he equips you. So you know the story about Samuel and his sons, and when they were looking for a, a new, uh, Samuel was looking for a new king, and he was looking over Jesse's son, sons, and David was one of his son, sons. Man, my mouth is dry. Anyway, 
God told him, don't be impressed with looks and stature. God judges people differently than humans. This is in 1 Samuel 16, the message uh, version. Men and women look at the face. God looks into the heart. So remember that. God is looking at your heart. You know, I want to add one thing. If you have a past that you're ashamed of, know that God doesn't disqualify you. Other people will try to disqualify you. You will try to disqualify you. And then, of course, the enemy comes in and tries to disqualify you. But he is not limited by your past and what you've done. In fact, he can use it all. He can use it all. That's what he did with Rahab. You know, uh, I think she was in a perfect place for God to use because of her background. Man, you talk about smart and quick thinking. Oh, I have one, but thank you. I'll take another one. Oh, I meant. Oh, (laughs) no, it's okay. Um, You know, she had guts. I mean, like, if the king's men came to my door, and said, where are they? I'd say, right upstairs. You know, she could have been tried as a traitor. She, you know, was risking her life. And, you know, to be in that type of profession, you, you're, you're brave. You're tough. You're a liar. She had a lot of experience in lying. And people were like, oh, does God condone lying? No. It opposes his very nature of who he is and his holiness. But was God going to abort the mission and say, hey, spies, you got to go find someone else really quick to hide you because she just lied? No. We'll get more to that in a little bit. But no, he uses all of her past and all of her giftings and skills that she developed. She was amazing. I don't know. I never really studied Rahab as much as I have. And she's not someone to look down at. She's really someone I admire. I believe, um, well, let me just skip that. Let me just emphasize one thing, if you don't remember much of what I'm saying Remember, it's not who you were that matters to God. It's who you're becoming. It's who you're becoming. Right? If I would have thought back then in my before Christ days, I mean, I would not have thought I would become what I am today. And I still have more than I need to become. Right? It's an ever-ongoing process. When you get saved, you're not all of a sudden cleaned up. You have to work out your salvation. Allow the Holy Spirit to allow you to change from the inside out. And it's not always a straight line. I always say that. Sometimes it's bumpy. Right? But allow God, allow the Holy Spirit to do that process. I'm sure there's a lot of people who underestimated her potential based on her past 
and even her present circumstances of the time when the spies were there. But God never did. So don't limit yourself based on your past or even your present circumstances because God won't limit you based on that. Other people will try to limit you, but God will not limit you. Point two. This might blow a little bit of your theology, and you all have it, okay? You don't have to be perfect for God to use you. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you. Surely God could have used someone else with a better reputation than Rahab, someone with better qualifications, better character, you know, someone more upstanding in the community. I don't think there was a lot to choose from there anyway, but, you know, why would he, fall, you know, why would he use a bad girl? You know, the interesting part of this whole story is God didn't wait for Rahab to clean up her act. There's another thing that's going to mess up your theology. God didn't wait for her to clean up her act, to be good enough, to be perfect before he worked through her. And again, I want to remind you, she was a prostitute still when she made that choice to hide them. God doesn't condone lying and prostitution Like I said, it opposes his very holiness, his character of who he is. But not one of us will live a perfect life or have a perfect faith. There's only one. Can you guess? That's Jesus. There's only one. Amen. Um. You know, when you think about the people in the Bible that God used, they were all imperfect people. Moses killed an Egyptian, and Abraham lied and said Sarah was his wife. David committed adultery, and then, you know, he also killed her husband. And then there was Peter who denied knowing Jesus not once but three times. And Paul murdered Christians before he had an encounter with Christ. God chose these people. Broken and imperfect. In fact, with Peter, he said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. To a guy that denied him, threw him under the bus, not once, but three times. That's all God has to work with people is broken and imperfect, mistake-prone people. And yes, I believe in sanctification, fancy word for becoming more like Jesus. It's a process. But if you think, if you think that God is only going to love you when you do good, he's only going to reward you when you don't do that bad thing, 
If he only takes pleasure in you when you're following the rules. You know, the Pharisees on the outside, they were saying with their mouths, yes, you know, we do this, we, we pray, we do this, we fast, we give our tithes. But in their hearts, they were far away from God. Far away. Hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. That's looking at your heart. He doesn't want you to stay the way you are. I mean, he loves us too much for us to be in bondage. He wants us to be free to be who he created us to be. But he's never going to pull away his love or pleasure from you if you don't do the right thing. It's not based on your behavior. It's based on your heart and your faith and trust in him. Don't take my word for it. Read the Bible. We will never be perfect enough. We will always make mistakes. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for repentance. And even when we fail and 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 we fall short, picks us up. And he said, okay, let's do this. Let me work in you. But I love you and I still want to use you for my purposes. So, you know, when she did declare that God was, uh, the God of Israel was her God, um, I think God was just like cheering her on. He was so excited that she threw off that old life and left it behind because God wanted her to be free. He wanted the very best for her. But even if she had chosen differently, he would not have loved her any less. Isn't it good to know that God's love for us is not influenced by our actions? If you write things down, that would be a good one. God's love for us is not influenced by our actions. He loves us for who we are and who we're becoming. It's so amazing to me that he, he just loves people that will never measure up. You'll never measure up. Does that shock anyone? You will never measure up. You'll never be good enough. You will never be perfect enough. And that's what stops people thinking that God's not going to use them because they just don't feel like they're good enough, holy enough, spiritual enough, don't know the Bible enough, okay? I want you to know some good theology. But if you wait for all that, you'll go to heaven and meet him and it's like, ah, you mean you would have used me all that time? Without Jesus, we're not enough, okay? It's not our righteousness, all the good things that we do. It's his righteousness in us. And that's the process. That's the journey we're all on to become more like Jesus. Are you with me? All right. 
He's such an amazing God that he would love us just the way we are. It's just so crazy to think about. Yeah, one day you'll be up here. <laughs> so God sees us as valuable and he sees past our weaknesses. He's not concerned with perfect behavior. It's our heart he's after. And even with all our imperfections, he still chooses us. He says, I choose you. I choose you to partner with to accomplish my will here on earth. There's no God like him. Last point. Labels do not determine your identity. Labels do not determine your identity. Have you ever been defined uh, by things in your life that you wish people could see past? I have. You know, uh, if I had allowed those labels to define me, I would not be here today. I don't even know if I'd be alive. But you know, that guy, he did this. That girl, she's this. You can't allow labels that people put on you, even though they're true. Rahab the hooker, that was truth, people. That was true. But when you come to Christ, you have a new identity, and that's what we're going to talk about. These labels, we can't allow them to keep us in our bondage. Oh, I did that. And now I'm disqualified. You know, Rahab, every time, almost you know, like I said, five times out of the eight times in the Bible, she was referred to as Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the hooker. She had that label for maybe 40 years. And today she has that label because it's in the Bible. Do you think that it could have been hard for her to see that she would be anything else but a hooker? When that's what everyone, hey, there's Rahab, the harlot. It was like a last name. She was defined by her sinful lifestyle and she couldn't shake it, I don't think, for, I mean, 40 years. Do you have a label that you can't shake? Some of us are thinking, hey, I just did something today I can't shake. We have to know that God doesn't see us with those type of labels. When Rahab declared that God was her God, she instantly transformed from hooker to redeemed. Instantly. God no longer, well, he didn't anyway see her past and what she did. She had a new identity. God can re-identify you.
people might still want to attach that label to her, but now she knows who she is in Christ. She's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. That's our God. He's a redeemer. He redeems things and pass your past. He redeems that. He restores you. And that's what he did for Rahab, and he can do that for you. Now, I, when I got saved, um, shortly after that, a friend of mine from high school came to our church, and she had just gotten saved. And in high school, we were unlikely friends. She was really kind of rough around the edges. But our... <laughs> Not yet. I wasn't rough around the edges yet. I was, I was moving that direction. It was our ethnicity that bonded us. I grew up in California, you know, where all the beach girls, blonde hair, blue eyes. And I saw someone that looked like me. She was Samoan and Hawaiian. Didn't see a lot of Hawaiians and Samoans and all that. And so we became friends. But, you know, like when you graduate from high school, you kind of lose touch. So I saw her, and she began to tell me her story. She became a junkie, is what we called it back then. She was a heroin addict, was, and she was a prostitute. And at the time, I was brand new in the, in the Lord, and I had a friend who uh, discipled me, and it, discipleship for us was like, oh, the preacher preached this on Sunday, let's go do it. I'm telling you, when you don't apply what you're hearing, it's just knowledge, doesn't transform in the heart. And so I learned from the very beginning, you hear and you do. And so her and her friends that were kind of similar to her just got saved. And guess what I was doing? Discipling. I mean, I was wet behind the ears. I, I didn't know. I just, my girlfriend poured into me. I poured into them. And for I don't know how long, a year or more, man, they were on fire. They're doing great. But you know, she couldn't shake that identity, that label. She had some friends that didn't want her to forsake that label and that identity. Kept reminding her who she really, who they said she really was. She went back, and I haven't heard from her since. Labels can keep you stuck in bondage. It can stop you from being who he wants you to be. It's so important not to let those labels stick. When you come to Christ, you have a new identity. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus right? Start to renew your mind on who he says you are, not those friends, not even the church people that won't let you get away from that label. Oh, 
Do you know what she just did before she came and ministered on Sunday? Hey, I know all about it. Because I used to, I mean, I, I don't need other people saying that about me. I would say it myself. If I got in an argument with him or I was at, mad at the kids on Sunday morning, I'm like, I, don't, I can't put on a happy face. I'm like, God, I am so disqualified. Please don't use me today. There's no, why would you use me? I just sinned. But he saw my heart. I was so repentive. And what? He would use me. You can allow condemnation, whether it's coming from the enemy, from your friends, people at church, yourself. You cannot let that condemnation stay there, that guilt. Anyone who's in Christ, you know, there's no condemnation, condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so you've got to change your thinking. I felt so guilty, so bad, that I just pulled myself out of him using me for anything. You all do the same thing. I'm not worthy enough. Man, I am struggling with this thing. Why would God use me when I struggle with this thing? Quick, be quick to repent. He's quick to forgive and give you the grace, his divine ability and power to do what you can't do on your own. You need him. You know, we're all Rahabs. Maybe you weren't paid. Maybe you, you dealt, I don't know what you did. We all have things we regret and we're shameful of. In that respect, we're like Rahab. We're sinners that need a savior to rescue us. And Jesus, once he rescues us, he wants to deliver us from that bondage and restore us so he can use us for his glory and for his purpose. So I know I have to wrap this up. Um, let's go back to Rahab. She chose, now this, this is something to remember too. I like this. Rahab chose to act on the truth of who God is rather than stay stuck in the truth about who she was. Don't be stuck in who you think you are. Just focus on the truth of who God says you are. Okay? And so what's so amazing is that hooker, she is now in the lineage of Christ. In Matthew, he says, Sal Salmon, who, by the way, was one of the spies, was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. She's in Jesus' family tree. Have you ever looked up your tree? It's quite interesting. She was there. Among all those men, she was one of the five that's in the lineage of Christ. She's also listed in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11. By an act of faith, Rahab the Jericho harlot welcomed the spies and escaped the 
the destruction that came on those who refused to obey God. I want to say something before we move on to communion, before I end. Rahab gives us hope that God can redeem anyone. He can redeem our past and use it for his glory. He can restore your true identity, no matter what label you've been living with. Oh, they're having fun, aren't they? <laughs> Don't discount yourself because of your struggle, whether past or present. Because if you give it to him and allow him to take you through that process of transforming you, he's going to use it to help others, even if you're not all cleaned up yet. Just like Rahab, don't underestimate what you bring to the table. God wants to use all of it.